Well, hey there, it is good to welcome you to Providence Church for worship. I wanna welcome back folks who may be back from Easter last week. We had so many guests and you are welcome here at Providence Church. I wanna welcome you if this is your first time. You know, our church's hope is that people who feel disconnected from God and the church can find hope and healing and wholeness in Jesus. And that's all of us. And so we are glad you are here. Last week was amazing. Just give me a couple minutes on that Easter weekend here at Providence Church. It actually took hundreds of people serving to make it happen. So I wanted to offer a thank you. Thank you to our parking lot attendants, donut servers, very important, ushers, uh, communion servers. I wanna thank our digital hospitality team. Those of you serving people in, in different states from Tennessee, welcoming people online to Providence Church. It's just amazing. Uh, a thank you to our our Prov Kids workers. We had 363 children in Prov Kids that heard the resurrection story of Jesus. It took over a hundred servants all weekend long. So thank you. Thank you for inviting and bringing your neighbors to church. A special thank you to those who came on Saturday. So we had Easter services on Saturday and we had over 1,400 people come on Saturday afternoon. What that, what that did is it allowed for over 2,000 people to come on Sunday to hear the story. So I'm just so I'm proud. I'm proud of this church. It's a deep hope of mine that this is the one church I get to serve for my whole life. And so I don't do this often, but I just want to boast on you for a moment and tell you that I'm proud of you. You know, we asked a lot of hard things. Just life asked a lot of hard things in the last couple of years. And so when we said worship online, you worshiped online. We, we asked you to worship in the parking lot. You know, you put on your sunscreen, honk your horns during my sermons. And we said, there was a time we said, we need you walking the streets of neighborhoods that were destroyed by tornadoes. And we had bus after bus leave the church parking lot. We've asked you to give sacrificially and you've given more and more abundantly during a hard time. So thank you. Uh, you know, in a time when you could have stepped back, you stepped up, and I just want to say thank you. And we're going to keep doing that <laughs> because being a disciple of Jesus means that hard things will be asked of us for God and for other people. So thank you, Providence Church. We love you, and we give gratitude to God for what you are up to. Today in worship uh, here at Providence, we have multiple families bringing their babies for infant baptism. We'll make promises over them. We have a, a bunch of people joining the church as covenant members, and we have 47 13, 14, and 15-year-olds saying yes to Jesus and making their profession of faith. 47 like middle school and high schoolers in front of their families, their friends, their community, and their church saying, yes, Jesus, I'm all in. So I just wanted to celebrate with you the work of God here. What we're up to now is a thing that our hearts are longing for. You know, all of our hearts are hoping for a better story or even a better end to the story. Like that's what you feel, uh, you know, when you're watching news footage of the Ukraine war. Uh, you feel like there's got to be something better, right? Something better coming. That's what you feel when you see images of refugees trying to find sanctuary for their children. When we talk about uh, hungry people in our community, you feel that longing. You know, most people don't hear about stuff like that and think, whatever, really. Most people feel there's got to be something better, right? So I wonder, can you feel it? That longing is a spiritual longing. And you may think, I know some of you may think, I'm not that spiritual, I'm not that religious. I'll say, okay, fine. What I'm telling you is that feeling of something has to be done, this isn't right, I want something better. That's a spiritual thing. That's something God put in you. It's a part of our human experience. We were made in the image of God. And so we long for some things that God longs for, a better 
story. So if you cry, like when you're watching American Idol, like I do, and they do that video story before an audition to tell you about the young singer's struggle and heartache, and then they come up for them, you see them sing beautifully, Lionel Richie looks them right in the eye and says, you're going to Hollywood. Like if that makes you feel something, that's because you were made to hope for a better story. If it doesn't make you feel anything, you have a cold heart, like something's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, it's Lionel Richie, right? We all feel something in that moment. Everywhere we turn, we're seeing stories of hard things and brokenness. And when we hear that, we hope for something else. That's what I'm talking about. So for the next month or so, we're going to continue a study of the book of John in the Bible. You're going to hear story after story about people seeing things and thinking, there isn't enough, or we're in trouble, or I can't find all the answers. And Jesus is going to be there in the story, their story, and he's going to be offering a better one. And that's, that's really my heart. Every time I talk to you, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want you to know him, to hear his voice, to see what he does. And it's there that you'll find what you, what you're, what you need for what you're facing right now. So we're going to pick up in the Bible in John chapter 6, verse 1. And it says there, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. So uh, I'd like to show you this map for just a moment. Some of you have seen this before, and you can see on the map, you see Jerusalem circled there at the bottom. And we were uh, in Jerusalem last week in the Easter story. But if you think back, uh, we're going back in the book of John now. Previously to this story in John chapter 6, Jesus had also been in Jerusalem healing a guy who couldn't walk, and that was the third miracle in the book of John. What we're getting today, we're about to get, is the fourth one. So in this story, he's back north by the Sea of Galilee, and most people think this story takes place uh, very close to Capernaum. So if you can see Capernaum there. So Jesus gets in a boat, he sets out to another side of this lake, this sea, and a crowd of people are following on foot. In verse 2, it says, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs, miracles, he'd perform by healing the sick. So Jesus is known as a miracle worker, somebody who can do what they can't do, somebody who can do the thing that they need. And so people are naturally flocking to him. Verse 3 and 4 says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover festival was near. So picture it, you know, you've got this lake, the ground slopes up from the sea, and Jesus just walks up the incline as he was prone to do, and he sits down. He's presumably, we think, trying to get some quiet time, some rest. But when he looks up, verse 5 says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So what we find out in just a minute is there are over 5,000 people walking Jesus' way, maybe double that. And they are far enough out that they can't just go to the market and get food. And so Jesus asks Philip, hey, Philip, where are we going to get lunch for all these folks? All right, warning, weird verse coming. Verse 6 says, he asked this of Philip only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. This is, and I told Rachel, my wife, this. This is how I know my wife, Rachel, is so much like Jesus because she does this all the time. I'm kidding, not kidding. Anyways, whatever, uh, she'll hear it. She asks me something, she'll ask me something, but she already has in mind what she's gonna do. 
And so I'm thinking, why did you ask the question? And the reason is, is it's a test. You know, you have that feeling somebody asks you something, but they already have a plan. You feel kind of helpless, right? When you don't really know what to do and you kind of know, even if you have an idea, it's probably not what they're thinking. And so you're thinking, why are you asking me where we're going to eat? Because I'm thinking Buffalo Wild Wings, but you're going to say Tzatziki's and we're going to go to Tzatziki's. So you try to think, what? Well, so Tzatziki's? And you're like, did I pass the test? Anyways, let's move on. Verse seven, it says, Philip, this is Philip's answer. He says, Jesus, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. This is Philip's statement of exasperation. He says, you're asking me where to get lunch for 5,000 people in the wilderness? He says, that would take half of what I earn in a year for everybody to have one morsel. So Philip is flustered with Jesus and, and flustered with this test. And that's when another disciple speaks up. His name is Andrew. Verse 8, it says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, Here is a boy, listen to this, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Andrew, to show the ridiculousness of Jesus' request, says, Here's what we have, Jesus, a boy who has five rolls and two sardines. What can you do with that, Jesus? And guys, what can you do with that, Jesus, is a great question. So here's what Jesus says, verse 10. He says, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. That's how they counted. That's why I think that we think there's way more than 5,000. Verse 11 says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And verse 12, when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14 says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And then Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the fourth miracle in the book of John. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. I have five things I want to note. I'm going to tell you all of them right now because you may just need one of these and you can kind of sit with it the whole time even as we explore the passages a little bit. So here are the five points I want you to see. Number one, Jesus really does care about our very real needs. I'll say that again. Jesus really does care about our very real needs. Number two, we see in this story, there is a spiritual principle of overflow. We're going to talk about that, but it's called overflow. Sometimes God pours out more than we want and more than we need. Number three, if you expect scarcity, you will likely get scarcity. If you're expecting a little, you'll probably get a little. Number four, a disciple's mindset shifts from we don't have enough to I wonder what God is going to do. Really cool shift. We don't have enough. And then they start thinking, I wonder what God's going to do with all this. And then number five, Jesus will not become our king by force. So back to number one, Jesus really does care about our very real needs. What do I mean by that? Well, you're going to hear from me from time to time that Jesus has a big cosmic plan for the whole universe. He's not just here to heal our ailments and fill our bellies. His miracles are so we will see who he is and acknowledge him as the son of God. Well, that's true. And he cares that the people don't have lunch. 
He cares about our needs in the moment. So he has this big plan that he's working and, he, and he's concerned about lunch. He's trying to save the world and he doesn't want your boat to fill with water. He's working to rescue humanity from sin and he also cares about our sick kids. So Jesus shows us that he cares about what's happening in your life and my life right now when he tells the disciples that the urgent matter before them is lunch before the uninvited crowd comes to them. The next point is there is a spiritual principle of overflow, right? Overflow. Sometimes God pours out more than we want and more than we need. I had never noticed, uh, and some of y'all heard me preach on this text many times, I'd never noticed that the feeding of the 5,000, it's one of the most famous Jesus miracles, I'd never noticed that it was an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why I think that. Tell me if you read it a different way. Verse 11 again says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated, listen, as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. The next verse, verse 12 says, when they had all had enough to eat, when they all had enough, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So this was not tzatziki's, this was Golden Corral, okay? Jesus in the wilderness, you guys, some of you go to Golden Corral. Jesus in the wilderness, listen to the plan of Philip. So what did Philip say? He says, Jesus, I don't have enough money in, a, in half a year to give everyone a bite. And he, and he still didn't think that would work. Andrew's plan was showing Jesus how very little they actually had. And Jesus goes full on all you can eat buffet to the people who are out there. They had as much as they wanted, as much as they could eat. When they all had enough, it says there was 12 baskets left over. That is an overflow moment. Now, real quick, I want you to look back with me at verse 13 of John chapter 6. Verse 13 says, So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So here's what I want you to take note of. The 12 baskets of overflow were pieces of the five loaves. This is a very, it's a very specific line and it's an important miracle distinction. Here's why, because people like to say about this miracle, they say, that was so cool. Maybe the miracle was that everybody shared. You know, when Jesus started passing the boys food, other people pulling sandwiches out of their pockets. And that's what a cool moment that everybody shared. That is so cool, sharing is cool. And, and sharing can be a miracle. Like sharing is a miracle in kindergarten, right? But that's not what happened here. And John is specific to say the leftovers, the overflow, started from these five little rolls that the boy brought from home. I have learned that we can't limit God. We actually can't. We can't limit God. God is God. But we can limit our experience of God. God often works in an overflow way. Extravagance, offensive amounts of grace, mercy abounding, more love than you've ever imagined. We can't limit God, but we can limit our experience of Him if we go after our little plans instead of God's. You see, that's actually the test to Philip. Jesus is not trying to put him to the test so Philip will end up feeling dumb. No, the test is to see if Philip has learned yet that he can be involved in the overflow miracles of Jesus. This is the fourth miracle, but Philip has saw them all. He saw water into wine, Philip heard the official's son was healed from one town to the next. And Philip saw a man who hadn't walked for 30 years stand up. So Jesus already had a plan in mind of how to feed the people. The reason he asked Philip was to get him in on it, to see if his perspective has changed yet by hanging around with Jesus. Well, we've been hanging around with Jesus. Has our perspective changed yet? Jesus works in an overflow way. 
The reason it's important to, to notice this distinction is because in the world, there's something different. In our world right now, there is in many places a scarcity mentality. What's a scarcity mentality? Well, it's why the toilet paper runs out. Not in the bathroom, that's a different problem, but in the grocery store, right? When, you know, remember that? It's like you can find toilet paper. The scarcity mentality comes from believing that things are finite, that there's only so much. So I better get my piece of the pie before someone else does. So this is true in many situations in our world. There are things that are finite. Toilet paper is indeed finite. Gasoline, right now, it is a non-renewable resource. There's only so much and only so much we can get. But what a scarcity mentality leads to is people actually trying to get more than they need while leaving others out. When people know there's less of something, they try to get more for themselves. And so a scarcity mentality is dangerous. With finite resources, it actually makes the problem worse. You know, like when your neighbor Steve fills up 27 five-gallon gas tanks with gas in his garage, he's actually making the gas situation worse for everybody else, while also creating quite a fire hazard, you know, in your garage, Steve. It's dangerous, bro. But with finite resources, we understand that. I'm being silly, but you get it, right? With finite things, we understand why you need to store up. I'm not criticizing that. We can all get that. But we're not talking about finite resources here in this story. Jesus is trying to show us when dealing with spiritual resources, with a new perspective from hanging out with Jesus a bunch, you don't have to be worried about the things of God running out. So don't apply finite principles to an infinite God. If you expect scarcity, you will likely get scarcity. People who expect little to happen have little happen. Not because Jesus' resources are scarce or finite, but because when we do that, we're choosing a limiting plan instead of what Jesus wants to do. And so that's the test. Are you seeing how little we have or how much God can do with so much? A disciple's mindset, here's the shift. It shifts from we don't have enough to I wonder what God is going to do. We got to pay attention when that shift happens to us and we're just thinking like, I don't really have enough to make this happen. Instead, we start living our lives like, I wonder what God's going to do in this moment. So spiritually, we should have an overflow mentality. If this story that I read to you is more than just a story, which we believe it is, we should be expecting better stories, surprise endings that lead to everyone having more than enough. And friends, a part of coming out of a pandemic, out of this pandemic in America in our time, is actually gonna be about us Christians rewiring our perspectives from a plan that looks like take care of myself to a Jesus plan that says, I have enough for everybody. We're gonna have baskets left over. Jesus is beginning to expand the capacity in the story, to expand the capacity for the disciples to believe that when they're standing in front of 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread, they move from thinking, we're not gonna have enough to, I wonder what Jesus is gonna do this time. Well, here's the deal. He has in mind how he's gonna help us. But if you're like me, you spend a lot of time trying to come up with plans that Jesus will bless, and then convincing him how they will work. It's time for us to start looking for his abundant plan, his overflow plan, the one that Jesus already has planned. So it is a mindset and perspective change. And I'll give you a couple of questions to sort of gauge where you might be at on this uh, Jesus perspective. So here's, here's two questions. The first is, ask yourself, how often do I think God wants to give me more than enough? 
When you're thinking about your life and God's role in it, how often are you thinking, I know God's going to pour out goodness on me. He's going to pour out blessing. He's going to pour out all this, maybe more than I can even handle. That's the first question. The second question is, how often do I ask, what can you do with this, Jesus? Like when you look at what's before you, how often do you look at it and think, I wonder what Jesus can do? The, the last point is this. Jesus will not become our king by force. That's what the people found out. They're like, Jesus does really cool stuff. Let's try to get a hold of him and make him the kind of king that we want to do. But here's the truth. Jesus is going to do what Jesus does. I don't get Jesus on my terms. and You don't get Jesus on your terms. Jesus actually already has a plan of how to bless us and to give overflow in our lives. And that is the one we want. Let us pray. God, help us as we hear this amazing story of the feeding of 5,000. Help us to see what it means for us as we look at maybe having a little bit in our lives and begin to consider what you can do. God, would you show us, give us a new mindset of how you work and what you want to do in our lives, in our community, in our world. Begin to push on us and challenge us and expand our, uh, our capacity to dream with you, God, so that we can see miracles in our own life. Amen.